Welcome to the Escapist Corner. This is a podcast where we talk about lifestyle, sport, and entrepreneurship. We hope this can give you some inspiration to your daily life and also make you some good ideas um, based on where you are in your life. We're going to talk to uh, successful businessmen, coaches, sportsmen, athletes, doctors, what have you. Uh, please feel free to uh, look at our homepage, escapistcorner.com. There you find the, the links to Instagram and Facebook. Happy listening! Welcome to the Escapist Corner, is our name, I think. Uh, on this show today, we have, as I always say, an eminent guest all the way from the States visiting us in Berlin, uh, no, in Munich, in Germany, but not for me, but uh, we have Kelly Sorrett from Mobility Wad, the Supple Leopard, and uh, yeah, owner of CrossFit uh, San Francisco. Co-owner, co-owner. Co-owner, co-owner. With my wife. Yeah, with your wife. I, no, you, dude, you gotta give J-Star more than half the credit. She's the brains. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, so let's uh, start with that. Um, I mean, before this mobility wad started and everything, and we go into that, uh, how did you come up with the idea for that? I, th I think CrossFit and the cross, uh, CrossFit community has some something to tell in that story. Well, you know, I discovered CrossFit, so I was a professional athlete um, and then got hurt, and that ended my career. And I thought I was really fit. I mean, I was a national champion. I'm, I was badass. And then um, I literally had started physio school. It was my first year. And I was seeking out, I was already working with an Olympic lifting coach named Jim, Jim Schmitz. And I, I knew I needed to learn to Olympic lift. I didn't know why. But I just was like, ah, I feel like every athlete should do it. I should learn how to do it. You know? And so I was driving to South San Francisco, Olympic lifting. Um, I had read this article by Dan John called Get Up which is about teaching overhead squatting and some basic things. And, and I had overhead squat, I, I belonged to a Globo gym. And then once a week I would like drive down to the city every two weeks and train with Jim Schmitz in the basement. You couldn't buy Olympic lifting shoes anywhere. I trained in like flat Eddie star, like, like, like Sambas, right? And um, I discovered CrossFit seeking out information on Olympic lifting with dumbbells. Cause I was like, well, is it special? I, you know, and I found this gif that was a, a CrossFit gif with Nicole Carroll. And, um, I was just kind of stumbled into this model of training that was, you know, shorter and tense. I, I made sense to me, you know, this is how I'd always trained and had good luck with training much higher intensity and less volume. I had some other friends who were just volume junkies and I was like, ah, it didn't feel right for me. And I had good success training, doing a lot more interval style training. So that was always working for me. And uh, I did a workout. Classically, I did uh, the easiest workout. I was like on an easy day. I did Cindy. Pull-ups, push-ups, and air squats. And uh, no one I knew had ever knew what kipping was. I ended up teaching myself how to kip because I was getting crushed. And I was like, what is this? And there was like kip, like the kip, the mysterious kip. And um, it wasn't a thing we did. So I was doing strict push-ups or, you know, strict pull-ups. I was dying. I got through like you know, 11 or 12 rounds in 20 minutes and just laid on the ground dying. Like I was dying. I was swollen and dying. And I was like, what was that? You know, then of course on the next easy day for me, I did the easiest workout I could do, which was front squat to press and pull up. That seemed really easy, right? AKA Fran. I just chose Fran as my second. And literally 14 minutes later, I was like, what just happened? You know, because those single pull-ups are just murder. Yeah. And, um, 
And I, you know, I, it kind of got my attention. And then I, I, I crushed all my friends with it. I was like, you got to try this. What is this? Am I crazy? And everyone else said, what is this? So halfway through, I, I became, um, in my second year of physio school, my wife um, asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I said, I want you to send me to a CrossFit certification. So I got this level one. And it was the first one. It was three days long. It was a whole day of gymnastics, a whole day of Olympic lifting. It was epic. And that was the one where all the SEALs got injured. All the SEALs got rhabdo. That was when we started talking about rhabdo's community because we did so much fun. We did fight gone bad. We did backwards running Fran. We, I did 100 jumping pull-ups as a demonstration. I mean, the volumes were insane. We just didn't know. And, um, you know, I was hooked. And I just saw this is the truth. And... Um, then following and, and then, you know, there were, there were like five CrossFits when I started five and, uh, we were officially the 50th CrossFit to open that December. Um, and I opened with in, in physio school. So I basically saw the truth of the need to, to try to reconcile what I was learning at physiotherapy. You know, I go to went to a really like, it's a good school with really excellent instructors, some of the best on the planet. And yet, it looked nothing like how we were training actual athletes, right? The physio had nothing to do with Olympic lifting, you know, short arc quads and dead bugs. And it had nothing to do with how I was trained, how we trained, actually how we currently were training. And I, I really struggled to sort of reconcile those two things. And, and halfway through, early on, I think in 2008, so I was coaching and in physio school. I graduated in 2007. Um, 2008, I, opened, I started my own course. I was like, look, I've got to, people don't understand anything about how their bodies are working, about basic soft tissue maintenance, about improving these positions. And so we, I, I put up a course and we taught it at CrossFit Santa Cruz. Um, and, you know, and Hollis filmed it. And lo and behold, um, you know, we, people were like, hey, can you come and teach? And so we never set out to start any of this. We set out to start, solve a set of problems for the community that we were seeing, which was, People didn't know what hip extension was, didn't, couldn't see if they were missing overhead range of motion. They just worked harder. And that was our old model. Work until you break, back off, work until you break in. Fast forward to uh, 2010, and I was having these conversations with Juliet because I have a thriving physio practice. I've been teaching around the country at this place and even the world. I'd, I'd taught overseas. And um, I was like, Juliet, you know, there's like 10 problems only. There's like 10 things that are just the same thing over and over again. And you know, and people are spending all this time coming to see me so that I can tell them that they're stiff or like, why didn't you, why didn't you do this yourself? Like your T-spine is stuck, bent. You're stuck like a rainbow, like unstick yourself. And uh, so one day I filmed a video and famously of me squatting in the grass, basically filming my nuts the entire time, right? Holding the camera up and um, filming my crotch. And we, I put it up and started Mobility One. I was on a blogger and I told one friend about it. And that was it. And then it was just snowballed. And it turned out I thought I would make a video a day for a year based on that old idea of make a poem a day for a year. Yeah. So I would just work on make a video a day of everything I knew and then I'd, I'd finish. Yeah. And uh, at least I could say, you know, here's this body of work. See if this helps you. Yeah. And what we found was that people didn't, didn't know. And as we became more sophisticated and solving more problems, you know, when I started this, there's a couple things that people don't understand. YouTube wasn't a thing. It wasn't, it wasn't obvious. It wasn't a thing. No, but this was, uh, yeah, uh, light years before it even started with all these. How about this? The, I, the, the yeah. iPhone camera yeah. didn't have video. 
Yeah. Right? Like, and people were like, what? The iPhone didn't have video? Like, my, tell my kids that, and they're like, wow, that must have been in, like, the Stone Age. <laughs> right? You just didn't make a video. It was, like, it was crazy. So um, I had to film on a camera, download it to my computer, upload it to the Internet, then put it on blog. It just took forever. Yeah. And then when all of a sudden um, Apple introduced it so I could push right to YouTube, everything changed because I could make videos on the spot. They were shaky. People knew. They didn't have to be high production. And we started rolling. Yeah. I think right now we're at 2,300 videos on the site, 2,300 videos. And that's not all the other things we've made. That's just content we've made for our site. Yeah. And what's been interesting is that we continue to go places and be invited in to see everyone's dirty laundry. And sometimes people don't understand now that we have, we see everything from choose a major, choose a major league sport, you know, from championship basketball to high level soccer, high level soccer. Um, you know, we just, we're, we've seen everyone's dirty laundry and we, our model is predicated on the fact that we're not trying to sell something. We're trying to help people solve their problems. And everyone has ankles and everyone's trying to get into better positions. And lo and behold, you know, Mobility Wad grew out of that. And I think that's really important for people to think of is we never tried to s set out to create a business. We set out to solve problems and the business grew out of that. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of interesting to see how that grew and also um, how if you take this to other businesses also how, how you see if you deliver value how it actually turns into something that people will like to pay for even though if, if it's for free yeah and you know and the internet changed on us too you know um, the, the, you know it, it's it's competitive in the in the world and you know version internet 1.0 everything was free and internet 2.0 you have to pay for the New York Times, you know, and yeah. that, you know, people are like, ah, you know, it used to be free. And I'm like, it was costing me $40,000 a year to maintain the website. Yeah. You know I mean? Like, do you have an extra $40,000 a year to, you know, do you get paid for your work? And so um, I don't think it's unreasonable that, you know, but the key here is you have to deliver value and you have to do it better than everyone else. I mean, we laugh at the number. When we started this thing, people were not mobilizing for position. They mobilized for pain. That was it. Otherwise, you came in, maybe you warmed up and then you did some exercises and maybe you cooled down. Maybe, right? And uh, no one talked about these things. We made up joint distraction. Clearly, we did not invent the bands, but, you know, people forget that things that seem ubiquitous now were not. It was, it was crazy. You know, I was working in the clinic at the very fancy sports orthopedic clinic. And I, again, I'm an Australian trained physical therapist. I'm a Maitland trained physio. And it's this heavy joint mobilization, manual work. And I was like, why can't I do this hip capsule mobilization to myself? And obviously knew about Brian Mulligan and the band and his distraction with a belt, so a therapist distract. So I literally pulled my band out that I would use for like deadlifting and I hooked it onto my hip and did the same thing with the mulligan and then fixed And I was like, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, all the joint mobilizations were born because I, what I was doing was using the band to be a, a pair of human hands, right? Yeah. You know, voodoo flossing, you know, it's become, I mean, I don't know how many knockoffs, you know, trademarked is voodoo floss, but floss band, yeah. there's a billion floss bands. Yeah. And, you know, Dick Herzl invented the first compression band that he was using for swelling around a joint, and then he was using it for blood flow restriction, but wasn't using it to cut and restore. In fact, we ran into Dick Herzl at a... Um, 
you know, at a conference and he was like, Hey, you guys are using the bands wrong. We're like, Oh no, we're not Dick. (laughs) And so understand, you know, these things are born out of, we're standing on the backs of giants who have been holding the door open for Mark Verstegen, Greg Cook, you know, these guys, we, it's easy to forget how far we've come in such a short time, all the manual therapists, but translating this into actionable, you know, pieces, making position a part of training, that's the thing we're still working on. Because we're seeing everyone's knocking, everyone's trying to, like, I have the best stretching system in the world. I'm like, how does your stretching improve your positions? What is full position? How does your stretching predict compensation? It doesn't. I think that's the problem. A lot of people don't know what's, what's the end goal. Uh, yeah, they don't have a model, you know. Yeah, they, people forget that the first half of Supple Leopard is movement theory that's integrative so that you can actually go from this is how I'm supposed to move based on the physiology and this is how I'm restoring those positions you know and then people you know are quick to want to put out the fire show me the quick fix I'm like the moving well is the quick fix right right? that's and unfortunately you know in all things these are this is a lifetime's work and that's okay it's okay for us to 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 expand our our vision as we become more sophisticated and say, hey, this is a 10-year project. I think that's, uh, that's um, I, I think, the, what's his name? Uh, Lasha uh, Gregoric, the uh, Jersey Gregoric of the Happy Body. He also talks about this uh, 10 years uh, progress of getting into a good shape for the, for an overhead squat and stuff. So Yeah, you know, and it was, um, it's interesting because even Greg Glassman said, you know, he thought, oh, this was a long time ago, he said, I think, GPP can continue uninterrupted for 10 years. And now we're seeing it's beyond 10 years, right? People are, are, you know, still training and getting better and better. But, you know, this is a long project and it's okay to put the skill back into all of this. I know we're all ego driven and want a bigger deadlift and a bigger snatch and we want to run faster. But, you know, there's time. You just have to keep working on a little bit every day and enjoy the process and curiosity that is requisite to, you know, make, make forward motion. So besides your um, kind of uh, passion to get into the position yourself, uh, where does your drive come from? I mean, because um, obviously you also did. Are you saying I'm obsessive? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you 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 created uh, a lot of books, three books uh, with an update and so on, and to that all the videos, the platform, uh, the gym. Obviously, you're not working all alone, but still um, you guys have, you're driven. Uh, and my question is, where does your drive come from? Well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, we can, what I'd say is we have some young physios who come in, right? Or in physio school and I'm like, man, physio is cool, but you gotta like the work. You gotta like, like the satisfaction of teaching, you know, we see this in young coaches who come in. I'm like, yeah, coaching's cool. You better be obsessed. If you're gonna work at our gym, you have to be obsessed. Do you like teaching air squats to children? Do you like teaching strict presses to old people? Because that's what we do and it's awesome, right? And some days it's a grind, but you know, people are like, hey, I wanna help people. And I'm like, mm-mm, that's cute. But I really like the work and, and, and I like the intellectual challenge, you know? It's interesting is, is the further you get along, um, we'll take Mark Verstegen, who is uh, like a mentor, uh, just a, such a stellar man, you know. Um, he's battling a whole different set of obstacles that I haven't, you know, how do, how do you scale? How do you maintain quality and scale? How do you communicate your ma- message more efficiently? 
And, you know, I think what ends up happening is that, you know, a different set of problems start to present itself over and over again, and you continue to be challenged. You know, I, I keep waiting to run out of steam obsessing about this, and I haven't because there's, we haven't solved the problems. What's happened is that we continue to, you know, reapply. Like, look, at some point helping, you know, recreational athletes with their ankle range of motion so they can do a workout faster, that's cool, but that's not really the thing. And suddenly you're realizing, hey, we can start solving another set of problems, whether it's our stand-up kids or athletic development or, I mean, how many ACLs can we take off the table in a generation? I think that's right? very, how many, very interesting to go into for, uh, because through this work, you're also, it has this ripple effect of, uh, touching a lot of people outside of your gym mm. uh, and your practice and so on. So, or practice. Um, just looking at the setup here, we're in Germany now. So, we have I don't know 30 participants here that are going to take this home to their uh, gym or whatever and continue to you know try to. Um, get those ACLs not <laughs> well not you know I, what we're seeing care. is um, what's fun is you know the challenge of refining the challenge of becoming more sophisticated the challenge of understanding more deeply you know I think about you know what I knew 10 years ago and it was a lot and now I'm like oh man I can see I can see everything so much more clearly and I'm more efficient you know um, you know one of the things that we recognize is that if we're the only people who can do it, then it's useless. You know, we, you may never do it as good as I can do it, but you don't have to. 90% gets you an A. And um, we're seeing that people have become very sophisticated in their understanding of position mechanics. And, and we have seen it translate into improved human performance across literally any sport you can think of from powerlifting to Olympic lifting to running to, I mean, just choose something. And really what we're talking about is human potential. So maybe underneath this is saying, Hey, what happens if you just move well and we, and we get rid of that crap, then it's just about your environment and your training and maybe your genetics. And now we're getting into it. It starts to become much more interesting. Um, the other thing that's, I think really remarkable that we can't speak about enough is that the, I work in a community of extraordinary thinkers who so inspire me and give me ideas and bump in and things that they're working on, you know. I, I wanted to come into that because you're in, in kind of an epicentra of a lot of things happening within, uh, if you look at the CrossFit community, of course, it comes from California um, and how it like spread out over the world in a very short amount of time. and. Um, but also, like you're interconnected with uh, Tim Ferriss, you've been on his show, you've been on a lot of shows now that are outside of the sports um, arena, you know, in some sense. Well, it turns out, you know, one is this, we live in a cool area. There's so much happening in San Francisco, and there's so much good coaching and thinking about performance there. Very cool. But the, the global, you know, community, you know, the, my connection with Altus and what's happening at Exos and Phoenix. And then I have all these amazing coaches all over the planet who were just, you know, we ping each other. How's it going? What's up? You know, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an exciting time to continue to reach out, but it turns out that human beings 
still have bodies even if they are photographers and you know it turns out that a lot of people who don't train are in pain and we're seeing a lot of function that we can solve from the strength and conditioning community because think of it as like formula one for the body and then we should be able to take those lessons and apply them back to look the, if you are talking about consilience, which is unification of knowledge, and you read E.O. Wilson's book, Consilience, the highest form of science is to take science and apply it to the humanities. Not science and pure science, but to science that actually improves the livelihoods, changes people's, you know. That's, that's why if you talk, look at, you know, the kids at Google, it's not, they're not just nerding out on, like, you know, particle physics. They're like, what, what? science, what innovation can we do to solve humanity's problems? How do we solve energy? How do we solve light? How do we solve drinking water, right? Those, that's really interesting science. And, you know, to, to be able to see this accelerator in human performance at strength conditioning means that we can apply these principles backwards. And it, it changes how we think about kids' shoes. You know, what, what kids should, how do we, how should we reconfigure our environment so we don't end up so compensated? And so we have this ongoing laboratory and then it's just, it's an issue for us of being clever enough to, you know, spin it backwards so it actually means something instead of circus. Otherwise, who cares, it's still circus. Yeah, I mean, um, at one point, uh, being an observer in, uh, observer in, in uh, Germany or Europe and look at the U.S., you kind of see a lot of diseases or things happening in the U.S. that will come to Europe. Yeah. Even though you try to mitigate those. Uh, Laptop transfers. syndrome. Yeah, but all these things tend to come here. So Germany is now... Uh, getting to this kind of obesity. Uh, you know, uh, it's interesting. My, my wife and I uh, talked about that we, we felt like we saw heavier people than we've ever seen before. Yeah. In, in, in Bavaria, too, which is very unusual. Yeah. So, and uh, we see this, of course, in like the daily uh, livelihood of people, what they eat, also the distance. Well, and maybe, maybe those things have changed, but the environment has changed. Like we're spending a lot more time on the computer. We can, you know, we're not riding and walking as much. We don't play as much outside. Our sleeping is being disrupted. You know, if we take an hour of sleep from everyone because we're on Facebook and just multiply that times five years, guarantee you that's 10 pounds of, of fat just right. because you're not sleeping. I mean, it's that simple. So, yeah. you know, I, th this is, I think, the, the case is that, um, you know, we need to be clever enough to see these as technical problems. You know, they're, look, I'm reading Homo Deus right now, and Homo Do, and um, it really is about where are we going in the next, you know, thousand years, two thousand years, and honestly, you know, the writer, um, I think it's Yamul. I'm sorry, I'm butchering. Uh, his, his first book was Sapiens, so apologies, but um, you know, he's like, look, we've sort of mastered plague disease and war. And I know that plague still happens and disease still happens and war still happens, but it's, it's very different. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are political decisions, right? Not, um, you know, not, you know, people aren't starving because we don't have enough food or can't give enough good calories. It's because it's, we can't get enough food because it's, it's politics. Yeah. So it really begets, where are we going? What are we, what are we working on? And ultimately, 
you know, these are problems of the human condition that we are not the first people to take a crack at. So look at yoga, look at Pilates, look at all these systems. They were these Ayurvedic traditions even were all predicated on trying to improve the quality of people's lives. You know, the, the problem is when the environment sort of changes underneath us and suddenly we're not moving around. Like, why do you need an activity tracker to tell you to move around during the day to remind you yeah. to be a human being? Well, it turns out you need that because you work really far from where you live and you have to drive in a car, right? That you, one of the things you do for recreation is watch TV, you don't go outside. Yeah. You know, you don't walk everywhere. So we've had to you know, create technical solutions to things that we shouldn't have to solve. And I think in all of this, we should ask this fundamental question. What does it mean to be a human being? Not in some existential mean, but like, hey, you're, this is a biological system. So why are, why are we getting sleep wrong? Why are we getting nutrition wrong? Yeah. You know, human beings are not designed to eat 16, 17 hours a day, which is what we do. We're not supposed to do that. You know, we're supposed to eat and then stop eating. You know, we're not supposed to eat every three hours. You know, so, you know, I, I think we're supposed to move more. We're supposed to sleep more. We're supposed to move in a certain way, you know, and that that's not negotiable. I know there's variability and everyone is a special snowflake and your femur is longer than a five femur. Yeah. But in two and a half million years, we are the only animal on the planet that has some unique way of moving, right? We're all individuals. And yet dogs all run the same, whether they're big dogs or little dogs, you know, giraffes all run the same, even if they're baby giraffes or adult giraffes, yeah. you know? And I think what we need to say is, hey, what does the physiology say? And then can we recreate the environment in which the physiology existed? And I'm not pining for the olden days. I'm just saying we're not doing what human beings are supposed to do. Just do me a favor. As an experiment this weekend, don't sit in a chair the entire weekend. Let me know how it goes for you. Yeah, it's going to be impossible. <laughs> just so. don't do it. No, you can do it. You're on the weekend. Just yeah. sit on the floor. Eat on the floor. It's fine. Just don't sit in a chair. That's, that's why you don't have any hip range of motion. Yeah. So um, I think it's uh, kind of interesting to see also because we're kind of having this discussion um, that I think is very far away the paradigm of a lot of people, not like 95% yeah, yeah, of, of uh, the entire population. Yeah, this is normal, but like we're crazy. Yeah, I mean, they, they have no idea what we're talking about. So they, uh, I think for me now as a new uh, box owner and so on, I, I tend to I see this, I, I live from this seeing like people coming in starting to see how their 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 uh, eyes move <laughs> and they change <laughs> that's right and, and they're like like whoa what's happening and what is this this is just the first step so you know, you're talking about what is a human being supposed to be and everything and yeah you know we have to we, we have to have these kind of boot camps we'll, we'll, we'll start with squatting that's yeah. just like you know i mean and, and and here's the point is that uh you know it's our human nature to just jump in and dive in right oh man this is it this is awesome you know but we it's little steps yeah you know and um you know the exercise and the functional training even crossfit it's really should be given a lot of credit because you know it was asking us to actually exercise in full ranges of motion for the first time it actually it asked us to express the positions that we we're supposed to be able to express you know you should see how well my eight-year-old daughter manages the monkey bars she is a ninja and she hangs on everything yeah. do you think this kid has any overhead shoulder restriction no, because she hangs on everything obsessively, and that's the issue. If you didn't hang for 20 years, all of a sudden you came into the gym and you're like, oh, high rep pull-ups, I'm down. Snatches, let's do this. You know, like, of course you're going to have problems because you can't even speak the language of the rudimentary positions that require for these exercises. 
And that's the piece where we go a little haywire, right? And uh, it's because we don't, we, we're all in, you know, we're, we're ready to change and all be jacked and, you know, be Instagram famous, you know, with, for our abs. But, yeah. you know, it's not sexy. It's move more, sleep more, be consistent. Don't be a stress case. And, and it is a big, big thing to wrap your head around. And here's the key. You don't have to fix it all. You just have to fix a few things. Yeah. And tomorrow you'll get a little bit more. So um, you inspired me in uh, one particular case, or many cases. To eat more, eat more uh, cookies? Yeah, exactly. No, but uh, with the stand-up kid uh, project you're working on, uh, which is, uh, how do you say, an organization to make uh, kids stand up in school. No, it's an organization move. to get kids from sitting, yeah. sedentary all day at school. And that's, that's really important. And... Um, it's inspiring to see how you can create that uh, in your environment, and it, uh, it's also something we're looking at. Okay, how can we do something for our kids? I mean, um, I also have one daughter, the second one coming, so it's uh, I see already from my younger child, she's uh, almost four, turning four next year. So I already see how it is for her to be in, in, a, in a kindergarten where they sit a lot. <laughs> it's crazy. Where they eat a lot of sugar. Yes. And where you have to have these discussions with their... It's ganz normal. Yeah, exactly. And how hard that is to even change one kindergarten. And you uh, now kind of create a change for a lot of kids when I understood. We're, we're hitting about, we think we're about 60,000 kids so far since we started this little project. Only. We, <laughs> only. There's a lot of kids to go. Yeah. It turns out that um, it's really not a conversation of sitting versus standing. No. It's a conversation of moving or not moving. And looking at the positions we're in when we're sedentary. You know, um, our daughters were the first all-moving school in the world. We got rid of the desks for the entire school. So there have been classrooms that have done it, and some classrooms have had a few. But our school was the first ever, kindergarten through fifth grade, 100%. We had 450 kids who got rid of their desks. They showed up one day, and there was no desks. There was just standing desks. And each desk was individualized for the child. So it's to the right height, right? So it fits. Imagine if we just gave one pair of shoes out to every kid. No, no, sorry, you're not a size 9, but you get size 9. Right. It doesn't make sense that's the chair that's the environment that's the workplace like this is crazy thinking right yeah. sorry you have to wear an extra small t-shirt for the rest of your life yeah. and so what we found and what the research supports is that it's it's a profound intervention kids learn better why because it's one of the things that humans are supposed to do we're supposed to move around more um, we see that it's a it's a silver bullet for childhood obesity that if you get kids moving you can actually reduce their body mass index over two years we see a delta of six points, a change in their body mass index of six points. Yeah. Um, test scores go through the roof. Kids burn upwards of 27 to 35% more calories a day. So try to take 30% of the sugar out of kids' diets. Go ahead. Good luck with that. Jamie Oliver got crushed, yeah. right? Trying to rip the pizza out. Instead, we're like, mm, we know that's a problem. We're going to have to work on that. It's going to take time. But instead, let's go ahead and burn 30 more percent of calories. And I think that's what we're thinking about. So, you but know. Also, uh, being in movement also decreases. Uh, these kind of uh, hunger needs, uh, like hung hunger cravings, I would say, because uh, when people tend to move more, you don't have the time to sit around and think about oh, how do I feel and so on. No, you're active, so you're more engaged. 
it, wor- it works on so many levels. You know, I always point out, I think it makes me eat more because uh, Juliet points out that uh, if you know, we have a standing workstation environment at our office, right? Yeah. At both of our offices. But if Juliet doesn't sit anymore at work, and we, and we think if you need a stool, lean against a stool once in a while. That's totally okay. It's still not sitting, leaning, right? Yeah. But Juliet burns 100,000 more calories a year because she works at a standing moving station. Yeah. Do you have any idea how much ice cream 100,000 calories of ice cream is? Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm bigger, so I burn way more than 100,000 calories. I'm probably 150,000 calories of ice cream, and I'm still at zero. I'm still, it's like free ice cream. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's a good selling point for people that aren't uh, that curious in uh, hip extension and <laughs> you uh, can you can eat more ice cream. Yeah, you know you know how you can uh, run one is twenty four marathons a year or t- uh, without doing. That's right. It, so. You know, um, yeah, it, it, we find that it works on so many levels. One of the there's some research done on a company that made sales calls, and it turns out that they just moved everyone to standing, and when they moved to standing, they did twice the volume. So they'd make a call. There was, there was a one, make a call, didn't sell anything, it was a zero. It w- was worth $40 million to that company in the first six months. The people who wanted, uh, Mark Benden, who wanted to publish the study, originally he's like, we gotta publish the study, and they were like, no, you can't. You don't have our permission because this is a competitive advantage. Yeah. Because our people move more, they sell more, the company's killing it, don't let anyone else know this. Yeah, no, uh, we, we've been thinking about that also for, for our company, because we're doing, Doing a couple of a couple of company and you know and the intervention well, other things the intervention's free walking is free moving is free yeah you know we we really made it very overly sophisticated we have some secret scroll program you know even in CrossFit you know I think Greg Glassman you know not to speak for him but you know his original you know mo was hey man you know, Keep it simple. A couplet, a triplet, do some gymnastics, get out. And now we're seeing people doing multiple sessions and the volumes are insane. And the original idea was to train for something else. Yeah. Not, and I think the critique I have of all of this incredible sport evolution is that we've come to fetishize the gym. We yeah. love the gym. It's all about the gym. But I'll tell you that it's not all about the gym. The gym is satisfaction. It's, satisfa- it's really fun, but it's the application of the gym that's the thing. Yeah, I think so too. It's kind of hard for people to get out of that, uh, get out of the gym. No, it's fun in the beginning, right? And use their uh, fitness, as they say it. Um, But I think the let me uh, ask you this: so, CrossFit in a and is famous for its, you know, Greg Glassman said, "Fitness a hundred words or less," Hmm. right? And part of that is regularly learn and play new sports. When is the last time you learned a new sport? I'm just saying that to the crowd. When's the last time you learned a new sport? Yeah, exactly. When's the last time you learned a new skill? Because that's really it. You know, one of the ways that we define athlete is who can pick up the new skill the fastest and challenge. And so, you know, look, there's times where I had two babies and two gyms or, you know, two, two businesses. The gym is all I had. I think the gym kept me alive yeah. because I could get in and get out very fast. We used to do this thing. I'd get home late at night and I called it the 10, 10, 10 at 10, where I did like 10 thrusters, 10 pull-ups, 10 burpees for 10 minutes at 10 o'clock at night. And that was all I had. And I would be like, check the box. I didn't warm up. I went slow. I just moved a little bit. And I was like, I did something today. And the reality is, you know, we, we, we have to realize how this fits into people's lives and how it matters. And it's okay to get really excited and go down the rabbit hole, but pull back, go outside and go for a run. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. Uh, I think it's just hard for people because they tend to find their new community. Oh, it's so that, fun. And that's oh. why they're so attracted to be there totally. in their new church. So, 
Um, I don't know how it looks like for you from a time-wise now. Uh, do you need to round up? Yes, yeah. it's been a bit müde. Yeah, I understand that. Um, so, to round up this, this session with you, I just wanted to ask you uh, short, some short questions, okay? So, uh, what yes, these are my real calves. Yeah. People in the internet, it's not, they're not implants. They're so huge. My calves are real. The calves and the, yeah. So, um, my Bruchstrotze, they're also weird, are real. What book Isn't that the inspired right word? you the most? Uh, <sighs> or has inspired you the most? Um, uh, I think right now it's a book called Normal Accidents by Charles Perrow. It really uh, changed my thinking around systems-level accidents. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, read, I read widely and a lot of things. Born to Run, this important idea about, you know, who we are as human beings. Um, I, again, I, I probably spend a lot of time. I keep coming back to Consilience by E.O. Wilson. I think that's one of the most important books I've ever read. Good. So read those. Last question. What's the most common question you get? Are those your real calves? <laughs> no, uh, you know, people are like, hey, this is the question. Can I ask you about my shoulder? Like, that is the number one question. You know, people also want to know about Juliet because she's such a baller. My yeah. wife is such a, such a badass. You know, I, I, think, um, I think oftentimes people so are looking for, uh, <laughs> people are looking for shortcuts. You know, they're like, what's the magic? Like, what is the three solution? There's no such thing. You're responsible for it all, you know? And that's okay. It's okay for this to be sophisticated. It's okay for this to be an intellectual pursuit, not one of just pure effort. We want it to be effort. Like we want to be able to hook ourselves up to the treadmill and be like, I just went harder than everyone else. I win. But that's not how it works. And that's okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. My pleasure. I look forward to tomorrow. I'm going to torture uh, you tomorrow. It's going to be great. <laughs> I look forward to it. Um, no, thanks for the show. Where can people find you if they don't already know you? We are uh, Mobility Wad, W-O-D, Workout of the Day, uh, at Mobility Wad. Um, you know, we're, we're out there, mobilitywad.com. You can find them in the link below. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, happy, happy listening. And until next time, guys. Thanks, brother. Thanks. <laughs>